do stop and pray this morning as we begin a look at the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the way you work in our lives. We don't always understand. And at times that we're going through it, we may not appreciate what you are accomplishing and what you are wanting to do. And Father, we know that even in each and every situation we face, we may never know the ultimate purpose that you are trying to accomplish in our lives and in the lives of others. But we're thankful that you have a plan, that that plan is a perfect plan. A plan is a one that brings honor and glory to you. And Father, in those moments that seem dark and in the moments that we don't understand, we just pray that we will rely upon the truths of your word and that we will just take that one step that you ask us to take in faith to be where you would want us to be. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you will spark our hearts to be the kinds of servants that you would have us to be in a world that really doesn't know true servanthood. Father, help us to serve you through serving others. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a service-oriented society. And we like that as long as others are serving us. But when we are called on to serve others, that can be a different story. I remember in my life when Patty and I were first married, I was serving tables in a restaurant in Kansas City. And, you know, the only big deal about it is occasionally George Brett would stop in to have lunch with us. And everybody thought that was just great. But that's the restaurant that I worked in and served people. It was an interesting job. And it caused me to appreciate those who serve me today. But there were a couple of interesting lessons that I learned from that that I kind of want to use to be a jumping point this morning into the Word of God. The first thing you learn when you are a waiter or a waitress is that it is not about you. The customer doesn't care if your feet hurt or if you have a headache. They expect a certain level of service. The second thing I learned, it's not about whose fault it is. I didn't cook the steak. It's not my fault. But the person you're serving it to doesn't care. It's not the way they ordered it, and it becomes your problem. And the third lesson I learned is you may not get what you think you deserve. Um, I believe the world today needs to see people who are truly have a servant's heart. And I believe that Christ calls us to be servants. And we're just going to look at a few places in the Word of God where he talks about that. And then we're going to settle on our passage in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 12. It's an interesting passage, and you may not immediately think it relates to being a servant, but I believe it does. In Matthew chapter 26, or Matthew chapter 20, there's an interesting context where Christ talks about service. 
And it's in an interesting context. The mother of the Zebedee brothers came to Christ and said, listen, my two sons, they're fine young men. I would just like for them to sit at your right and left hand. She wanted them to have a position of prominence. And so in that setting, Christ ushers or utters these words in verse 25 through 28. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul, as he addressed the Galatian believers, as they were stretching their wings as new believers, and they were uh, talking about the liberty that they had in Jesus Christ. And there was concerns that Paul had about how maybe they would use that liberty. He reminds them in Galatians 5.13, But brothers, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty and occasion to the flesh, but in that liberty and love serve one another. And he was trying to focus them in on being a servant. A story is told about Dwight L. Moody. And most of you probably here know about him, have heard of him, a great evangelist in the late 1800s. He invited a, a, a large contingent of European pastors to his famous Northfield Bible Conference. And they showed up and, and he had a place for where they were housed and uh, he was walking down the hall one night and realized that every room had a pair of shoes setting out in the hallway. D.L. Moody was reminded or remembered that it was a European custom for guests to put their shoes in the hallway and the hall servant would come and polish the shoes and return them there by morning. The story is told Dwight L. Moody collected all of the shoes, took them to his room, polished them, and returned them all outside of the door for the folks that he invited. What Dwight L. Moody did not know is that a friend, someone else there, observed him doing that. And mysteriously, for the rest of the conference, every night, someone collected all of those shoes, polished them, and returned them to their guest's door for the next day. They were willing to be a servant because of the model of servanthood that Dwight L. Moody showed. As I look at our culture, that's not our nature today to do that. We have a tendency to say, well, that's not my job. Let someone else do it. Our work culture, our world today sees acts like that as a sign of weakness or a sign of declaring that we're inferior to someone else. And so my question that I want us to look at today and the point that I want us to grasp today is how we can be a servant in this self-centered world. 
And I, I invited you earlier to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So I'm going to invite you to turn there. And I'm going to read our portion of scripture, verses 1 through 12. And it's about Paul's ministry in uh, Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impunity or any attempt to deceive, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, that our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were proclaiming the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now those are interesting words. To me, they become more interesting when we turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and read really what is a, a preface to his time here in Thessalon Thessalonica. Just listen as I read Acts 17, verses 1 through 10. And we see exactly what had the context of those verses in, in Thessalonica. Now when they had passed through Ampophilus and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul's went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days, he's reasoned with them from scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the degrees, decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. 
And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So that's what was happening with Paul in Thessalonica as he's writing now later this letter to them. I mean, as I read the two scenes, I'm wondering where where does Paul get his perspective in 2 Thessalonians after reading what happened there? And I believe as Paul walks through this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gives us some insights on being the kind of servant that God wants us to be. And the first insight And you have a handout in your bulletin. If you want to fill in the blanks, you certainly may do that. And the first insight that we see from these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is Paul could be the servant that he was because he understood that we serve for a higher purpose. We serve for a higher purpose. Let me ask you this. Why do you do what you do? I mean, most of you here get up in the morning, maybe a little earlier than some, and you get prepared and you go to work. Why do you do that? Well, you have a house to pay for, you like to eat, uh, you like to drive a car. You do that for the main reason probably is to earn an income. That's why you do what you do. Everything that we do has a purpose behind it. Maybe we work hard and stay longer because we really want that promotion at work. So we have to let everyone who is involved in making that decision know just how valuable we are. We do things to be noticed at work. But what happens when you do something and you get the feeling that no one really cares that it really didn't matter and that your whole thing was a failure. As I read Acts chapter 17, I could understand Paul walking away from Thessalonica wondering, did I accomplish anything there? Was that three weeks a mistake? Was I in the wrong place at the wrong time? I mean, he had to leave town under the cover of darkness to keep from being killed. And yet you would never understand that from reading just 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I mean, I, I can see Paul wondering if he accomplished anything. And yet in verse 1 he says that his labor there, his work there, his time there was not in vain. that our coming to you, brothers, was not in vain. He understood that he was being led there by God and accomplishing a higher purpose than his own purpose of forming a church and seeing people saved and revival break out in the town, all of those things that we would like to see take place. He realized that there was a higher purpose, that God had a plan. 
And we need to understand, folks, that service for a higher purpose, service for God's purpose, is never a failure. We may never see the result. You may have had a brief interaction with someone at work, and maybe they were only there a short period of time, but you witnessed to them. You may never see them again except one day when you walk in the halls of glory, you see this person, and they mention, you know, that first time you shared the gospel with me never left me. Years later, someone opened the scripture and added to and watered and fertilized that, and I came to know Christ, but... We never knew. We never saw the fruit. We thought, well, that guy probably thinks we're nuts. But why did we do it? Because we serve a higher purpose. I remember Mordecai in the Old Testament book of Esther. He was the cousin of the queen. You're familiar with the story. And he overheard a plot to kill the king. He informed the queen. She went in and told her husband, the king, and the plot was foiled. It was stopped. And we read in the book of Esther that the king then immediately threw a great party and brought Mordecai up and said, hey, this guy saved my life. I'm going to give him half. Isn't that the way the story went? If you're familiar with the book of Esther, you know, no, that's not the way the story went. In fact, five long years later, when the king providentially was reviewing some notes about uh, the record and what all had happened, he read that account, and then he realized five years later that Mordecai was not recognized for his service to him. How would you feel if you did something for someone and you had to wait five years to get a thank you? I mean, with the mail service, it may be that long. I don't know. But we wouldn't appreciate that. We would say, well, you know, I did this for this person and they never even thanked me. I never got a thank you. Let's be honest. Most of that five years, if it was a very significant event like saving someone's life, you would be, you know, I saved that guy's life. I saved the king's life. And he, he, he has no idea. He's never thanked me for it. And we would be dwelling on that and grumbling and mumbling. But I think Paul's message is clear as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Acts chapter 17 that if you and I serve for a higher purpose than the results or the thank yous or the recognition or the rewards don't matter. See, we need to serve for one purpose. That is someday, as we stand before our Heavenly Father, we hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No one else may know on earth. That may be God's plan and purpose. But as servants of God, we need to understand that we are serving for a higher purpose than any purpose in this world. And we're going to leave those results or whatever up to him. But we're going to serve because that's what he has us to do. That's the first lesson we learn. I think another lesson we can learn from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that we serve in spite of our situation. 
How many of you would agree that Paul's ministry in Thessalonica was not under perfect circumstances? I wouldn't have preached in that setting. A hostile crowd hitting on every word, threatening with my life to be stoned if I said anything, being accused of being a rebel rouser before I even had an opportunity to say anything or do anything, that's not an ideal setting. I'm going to think, okay, these people don't want to hear me? Fine, I'll go to the next town. So the setting for Paul was not ideal, but he served in spite of his situation. In fact, his situation, his opposition was so significant, he left under the cover of darkness. I mean, the Bible gives us a lot of examples of people who served in spite of their situations or their weaknesses. Look at Moses. I mean, he was called by God to lead a people out of Egypt who didn't want him to lead them. And his only resume was, well, I've tended sheep for 40 years. That's not impressive for leading over a million people. He came on the scene as an outsider because he wasn't there with them for those 40 years. He had no staff put together to help him lead a million people. I mean, that's a logistical nightmare. And it's no wonder as we look at that situation that Moses offered up excuse after excuse after excuse only to be told by God, trust me, I know the situation you're in. I want you to go and do it anyway because you're serving a higher purpose. You're serving me. And here's what I have for you. Moses was willing to serve in spite of the situation. How come you're not serving, maybe? Are you waiting for the perfect situation before you serve others on behalf of Jesus Christ? Or are you willing to serve anyway where God has put you and placed you just because God wants you to do it. Folks, the situation on this earth is never going to be perfect for serving. But God has us here. God has us here right now. He has us have the people we work with right now. He has the people living around us that he has living around us right now. He has us in this church with one another right now for the purpose of serving. None of those situations are perfect. Your service may be misunderstood or rejected. doesn't matter. God has called us to serve in the situation that we're in. I think we learn a third lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, as Paul served, as we serve from a biblical basis. Now, what do I mean by that? What we believe determines how we serve. Paul hinted at this in verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
He's saying, I didn't come here to, to put together a big crowd. I didn't come here to be the most popular person in Thessalonica. I came here for one purpose, to give you the word of God, to serve God, to serve you from a biblical basis by giving these folks the word of God. Paul served with proper motives. He wasn't out to deceive them or lead them in the wrong direction or for personal gain. In fact, he says that I could have made demands on you as an apostle. He could have said, hey, I'm an apostle. You people have to take an offering for me. That's not why he served. That's not why he was there. He was there and serving on a biblical basis. And I think that's one of the, the keys that our culture is missing today. They see very little selfless service. It seems that everyone has an ulterior motive. And yes, I still go out to eat some, and I still have someone serve me. And, and I'm sensitive to that, but I also know he's driven by the same motive that I was driven by, and that's getting a good tip. And even a lot of service in our society is that way. I'm going to serve you because I want something from you. I'm going to do this for you because I want you to do this for me. And as I look at Paul in Thessalonica, there was nothing he was going to get out of that. I mean, as we see the end of the story, he had to be ushered out of town, probably with surrounded by some, some people who could hide him under the cover of darkness to keep from being killed. That's not a great return on your service, but he served because he was there on a biblical basis giving them the word of God, which kind of leads us real quick to insight number four. We serve to please God. Every time we serve, we must ask ourselves one question. Who am I serving? Todd mentioned it early. Only two choices on the self, serving God or serving self. And every time you go to do something, you really need to be honest in asking yourself that question. Why am I doing this? When our piano players get up to play, we have great piano players. Why are they serving? I believe it's because they want to serve God. Not because they want everyone in the church to come up to and say, man, you are just so good. There's a different motive behind those. We need to serve to please God. And scripture makes it clear that if we're serving, we're not going to be able to please ourselves and God. We're either serving one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. I mean, we see that in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. We need to serve to please God. As he wrote to Galatians, Paul wrote in Galatians 1.10, for, for do I now persuade men or God? Whom do I seek? Do I seek to please men? For if I'm yet please men, then I should not be a servant of Christ. 
He makes that clear. Aaron was brought alongside Moses to help him. However, Aaron had a problem, and it soon came to the surface. Aaron was a man-pleaser. Moses was a God-pleaser. Aaron, when Moses was up on the mountain and the people gathered around and told him that he, you know, they should give their gold and he should make a golden calf out of it, should have said, absolutely no way. That's not what God would want us to do. That's not what God would be gloried in. But immediately... Aaron caved into their request, made the golden calf, led them in the worship of it, and then blamed, it's interesting, you see, he blamed the people when Moses came back and was confronted. Well, Moses, don't blame me. It's those people. That's what men pleasers do. We need to serve to please God. Why are you serving? Number five, we want to serve with pure motives. And some of these are kind of interrelated, but I think it's important to point them out. It's not about pleasing men. This is not about pleasing ourselves. We might not necessarily set out to please other people, but let's be honest, we do like their praises when we do. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 was not seeking men's praises. In fact, going back to Acts 17, that's what he was not getting from the city as a whole. I mean, he was in, he was in trouble as far as the general population of Thessalonica was, was concerned. He definitely was not pleasing, uh, pleasing them. what about us when, when we serve? And maybe we can say, I'm even serving God, but inwardly we're saying, but boy, it would be nice if you'd recognize that. It would be nice if you'd say something. You see, the word of God has already made it very clear as we get to 1 Thessalonians that our problem is our heart. In fact, Jeremiah picked on that when he tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I think we're seeing a little bit here in, in 1 Thessalonians of Paul's heart during his service. And I think it's important that we, as we serve that we have checked our hearts. Why are we doing this? What is our heart telling us? Are we serving just simply to please God or are we serving for the praise of others? Insight number six, we need to serve with love. And essentially how Paul weaves that in, he, he says, I, I'm wanting to serve you as a mother loves her child. That nurse equals, is the same word that's other places translated mother. So those of you who are in a family that have children or had children, when the child was sick, who did they call for? My boys never cried out, Dad! It was always, Mom! Now, Mom may, 
you know, poke. And, and, but they wanted mom. Why? Because it's the nature of the mother to be caring and to love them and to selflessly care for their needs. And there's been many a mother that has stayed at night by the bedside of their child, depriving herself of her sleep in order to watch her child who is sick. That's what mothers do instinctively. And so that's love. That's how we need to be serving others. We may never get anything out of it. It may be a great sacrifice for us, but that's why we serve, and we serve in light of the ultimate sacrifice that Jim told us about in Sunday school this morning when Christ died on the cross for our sins. That was the ultimate sacrifice, and we can serve understanding that he gave a great deal. No matter how tired, no matter how you are treated, no matter what the demands, true servants serve. In the context here, I mean, Paul knew he was in trouble. He knew he was upsetting the, the community. He knew that there were those who were wanting to take his life. He continued to serve. I don't think it took him three weeks to figure out that he was there. I think after the first Sunday, they knew he was there. He knew they did not like the fact that he was there and that they were already forming committees to take his life. And he, he ministered two more, two more weeks because he was there to serve God. Paul served the Thessalonian believers because they were desirous and dear to him. Young Christians in a hostile environment who just needed someone to come alongside and love them with the word of God and challenge them with the word of God. And Paul was willing to do that in spite of who he was. Number seven, we want to serve sacrificially. And kind of by definition of a servant, a servant is one who sacrifices their needs for the ones he served. I mean, if you happen to be waiting tables at a restaurant and maybe you didn't have time to eat and your stomach is growling and you're hungry, just because you're hungry as you carry out you know, a steak cooked just the way you would like it with baked potato and butter oozing off of the side and all that great stuff. You can't stop and eat it because you're hungry. It's not yours. You have to take it and give it to a person who may not appreciate it, understand it, know how hungry you are, and maybe waste it and not even eat it all. And I mean, that's service though. That's what a servant does. He serves sacrificially. True servants serve. And the question we must ask is how are we willing to give of ourselves for the needs of others? Paul knew his time was short and he was willing to work day and night to get this small group of believers organized and taught. That's what he says in verse 9. We labor day and night. I made sacrifices in order to benefit you so that you could serve God. We see that 
exemplified in the New Testament story of the Good Samaritan. You know, we never know who that guy was. We never know his name. We never read that later the person that he saved sought him out and thanked him. We never read that. He was just willing to serve. Here was a man who had a need and he was willing to serve. And so, I mean, how did he know what this guy was going to charge on his credit card? Because he left it with the innkeeper, remember, and says, whatever expenses you have, I'll pay you when I return. I mean, he could have rented the whole motel, you know. Charged it up. It didn't matter. He was just going to serve him regardless of what it cost. I mean, think about his sacrifice. He sacrificed of his time by stopping and helping a guy who had a need. He sacrificed his possessions by banding and dressing the man's wounds. He sacrificed his personal transportation by carrying the man to an end. He sacrificed his life personally by even taking care of the man. That's a picture of what it means to serve sacrificially. I mean, in that story of the Good Samaritan, it mentions two other people. I mean, I wouldn't want them to be serving me based on what I read about them in that story. They passed by. It was too inconvenient or too tough for them to serve, so they, they just passed by. They saw the wounded man and they walked away. And as I thought about that, I had to ask myself very honestly, when have I done that? How often have I maybe since someone had a need and, and I just didn't slow down or stop and at least ask? And I think if we sat just a little bit, probably each and every one of us here could think of a moment like that. Where God put us in a situation where we could have served someone, maybe we had no idea who they were, would never see them again, but we had an opportunity to serve and we walked by on the other side. Because we weren't willing to make the sacrifice. And I thought of the life of Christ. I mean, he had some opportunities to bypass what he came to do. Remember when Satan tempted him? Each one of those temptations was an opportunity for Jesus Christ to do what would have been natural from a man's perspective, would have been understandable from a man's perspective, would have made sense from a man's perspective, and allowed him to bypass the cross. That was Satan's whole purpose. But he didn't do it. And even as the end grows near, he's in the garden and he's praying. And, and, and we don't have the entire words of all of that prayer. But at the end of that agonizing time in prayer, what does he say? Nevertheless, Father, your will be done. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what we agreed for me to do. I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to die for these people who don't deserve me to die for them. I'm going to pay that sacrifice so that they can have a relationship with you. And number eight, we serve to nurture. 
for Paul, it was all about helping this group of baby believers to grow. It's hard work bringing babies to maturity. Ask parents. If you've been a parent, you understand. I mean, there's a lot of messy diapers along the way. And it's no different with immature believers. You, have to, you just have to have a lot of patience as they are growing and struggling and trying, God's trying to work with them. And, and, and it's, it's just, it can get messy. But are we going to serve them? To help them grow? To see them ultimately grow for the glory of God and maybe have a ministry far greater than we could ever have ourselves? Paul did all he did in three weeks at Thessalonica. The believers at Thessalonica were given great insight into how to serve for God's glory by observing Paul's life. But it's interesting the things he accomplished. It tells us some were saved. Some became imitators of Paul's life. Some became imitators of the Lord. Some became models for others to follow. Some became messengers of the gospel to go to still others. And as I looked at that and I thought about that, I realized one important truth that that is really the point of all this is that servants have an influence. It may not be immediate. It may not even be in your lifetime. And I'm sure those of you who have been in Altoona Regular Baptist Church for a long time could think back of someone who just attended here, would be described as a faithful member, and yet as you look back, you see now, wow, they were critical in serving here. And they did something in serving here that I never knew about until just recently when maybe a former bus kid joined the church simply because he was led to the Lord by this person. And, you know, it was just bus ministry. But they were serving God. And if you're convicted by this as I was in thinking about serving others, where do we start? How do we get on the right track in serving others? couple of things real quick. Number one, start by praying. You see, serving like this is not natural for us. It takes God working in our hearts. None of us are the servants we could be because we have to ask God to make us the servants we should be. It begins with prayer. Secondly, we need to start by finding someone to serve. And maybe God has already brought them into your path. You just don't realize that. Or it hasn't hit you yet. You start by praying. You find someone to serve. You continue by taking every opportunity of service to others that God makes available. 
And remembering that being a servant is not a part-time job. It's what God has called us to do. Along the way, we need to check our motives. We can't be selfish. We need to be willing to sacrifice our time and our money and our energies for the good of others without expecting a tip. And I think probably lastly, we need to not wait until we think we are ready. Being a servant really takes no training. And there's no reason to delay. It's just serving God through serving others. Maybe it's just a kind word. Maybe it's just a simple helpful handout. Maybe it's a little bit of sound advice. But let's begin doing that to see what God can do. My final question for you this morning is this. Are you serving or are you being served? I found, too, that's either one or the other. Either sitting there, being, being served by others. And I remember years ago, one person described it as a sponge Christian. You sit, you soak, and you sour. Or you're one that soaks it in and then you allow yourself to be squeezed out in serving others.